0: Welcome to another edition of Making Money. The financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager, is standing by. I'm Gord Whitehead, a retired broadcaster. Ron, right off the top, we're going to talk about China and investing in China. But I think before we get to that, it's it's kind of timely to mention what happened in July, with 3.7% being the inflation number. We've been hinting and talking about that on Making Money, that inflation is lurking out there,
1: and it appears to have shown up. Well, inflation is certainly higher because, number one, there's a shortage of just about everything right now because it's very hard with COVID to get the numbers of bodies in your manufacturing facility to produce the stuff you need.
0: Yeah, supply chains are badly interrupted. We know that. You
1: know, and transportation, uh, and also people are making more than they typically would because, if you're sitting at home playing video games right now and you're on some kind of government subsidy, in many countries, that subsidy is higher than you'd normally make when you were working. And, of course, you're not going anywhere. Your expenses are low. You can't go out very much. You're not driving your car. You don't have to wear your expensive clothes. You can sit around in a tracksuit. And so, you know... People have more disposable income, and they've had in a long time. And that's just starting to show up. Uh, They're spending more, and the supply chain is constrained. So uh, we're seeing higher inflation numbers, absolutely. All right, well, something to
0: pay attention to. Don't take your eye off the ball there. Let's talk about China, Ron. It's the big beast. It's sitting out there. We know the stories about how much manufacturing has gone to China, how their economy has thrived and bustled. Over the last couple of decades, they're continuing to grow. Where are we standing right now with China, and what opportunities are there to invest there?
1: Well, China's had a big pullback recently, and they've become, in some ways, the black sheep in the global community for their treatment of minorities like the Uyghurs, uh, their militarization of the South China Sea, um, their belligerence in international affairs, And investors have been shunning that country's equity markets, and of course they've gone down. So the question is, does that make it a good time to buy? And what we're going to do today, we're going to look at the negatives. In other words, what's caused this market to go down in the first place and the risks involved? And number two, some of the positives of what makes China a compelling place to be And then finally, we'll talk about some ways to invest in China, actually four different ways with different risk levels. So we've got a lot to cover here in the next half hour.
0: Well, let's start with the negatives. And I think right off the top, we have to look at the sort of headbutting that's constantly going on between the United States and China, the two dominant powers out there right now.
1: Is that the root of the negative? Well, that's certainly uh, a big part of the root of the negative. And surprisingly enough, China and the US are headbutting over basically global supremacy. But if you look at trade, uh, I know uh, Fareed Zakaria, who's got a, a show called GPS on CNN, and it's a global affairs show that I try to watch every week because he has some very useful insight. He said, We're not in a cold war. He said, We're in a cold peace. Trade between west and china is still growing and trade between china and the u.s is still growing so even though the rhetoric has gone up we're still trading with them so it's a little different than the cold war in the past when the cold war with russia where we had very very little to do the western world with the the eastern bloc countries we hardly traded with them at all whereas now The world is a very integrated place, so we might be uh, making snide remarks about one another, but underlying trade is still continuing.
0: Okay, what about China putting the brakes on some of the companies they're wanting to invest in North America? They're saying, okay, well, we can play this game
1: too, right? Well, it's a bit, bit of tit for tat, but the U.S. is forcing Chinese companies that list in America to meet North American accounting standards, especially when it comes to transparency. And Chinese companies aren't very good at doing that. 10, 15 years ago, we sort of overlooked the fact that Chinese companies weren't very transparent. And uh, we didn't get to see thoroughly what went on when we, uh, when we opened the window and looked inside. Well, now the U.S. is saying, you've had 15 years, and now that your, com- your companies are competing with our companies... We want investor transparency, in other words, we expect you now to come up to the standard that if, if we're going to list on our own companies, or Europeans are going to list on our exchange, you need to have the same accounting standards as us. Of course, China is saying, no, 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 no. They're almost tit for tat saying that they're going to put the brakes on Chinese companies wanting to list in North America. And that's going to limit the supply and choice of securities listed here because a lot of foreigners invest in Chinese companies. And, of course, that's one of the reasons that their market was higher. And now the absence of all these foreigners because uh, foreigners are worried about, well, what happens if China doesn't allow foreign investors in their market or pulls their listings of their international stocks? That would leave investors in a very, very awkward place.
0: Well, let's take a look at the historical value of the Chinese
1: stock market, Ron. Has it performed that well? Frankly, it hasn't. And Chinese economic growth, in a nutshell, has not translated into wealth creation in the stock market. And that's one thing that's really amazed me when I look at all the commentary on China. Nobody mentions how poorly the Shanghai Composite Index which is their benchmark index, has actually done over 10 and 20 years. Over 10 years, they've grown at 3% a year. And even the TSX has grown at 8% a year, and we're not one of the world's best performing markets. The S&P 500 over 10 years has grown at 15% a year. In fact, if you take a look at the Shanghai index over 20 years, it's up only 30%. That means it's grown by a little over 1.5% a year. So the Chinese market, has not been able to translate uh, growth of the economy into wealth creation for investors.
0: So what about years of expanding their role in driving prosperity? I mean, a lot of people
1: have come up into the middle class in China in the last four decades, right? Absolutely, and certainly here again, that points to the fact that China's done a very good job Of moving people from poverty to middle class and they have a growing wealth class as well but china's leaders have remembered something very very important recently they're communists yeah (laughs) and recently we've seen a crackdown on tech financial they came out the other day and said uh, the education sector because most kids go immediately from school they go to immediately to tutors and spend most of their evening at tutors the competition there to get into the good schools or to have the grades to get into foreign schools is so high that it's making it very, very difficult for families that want to start and and get a couple kids to, to move forward because simply, when you take all the tutoring, uh, a lot of families just can't afford that. So they figure rather than if they don't have the money to do that, they're not going to bring up a kid who's disadvantaged. So the Chinese government just... Wiped out the entire industry overnight. They said they're all going to have to become nonprofits and they're not going to allow many of these after school programs to even exist. So, with that kind of uncertainty, there's been a huge sell off in these markets. And uh, at its extreme, here a couple weeks back, it pushed uh, the, the stock market down by $1.5 trillion. So, you know, that's the real question is this a buying opportunity? or the start of much more government heavy-handedness to come. And right now, that's the $1.5 trillion question. So
0: the, the government wants the needs of the country and the party ahead of anything else. That, that could be a real stumbling block, couldn't it, for foreign oh, investors?
1: Exactly, because uh, shareholders, call it selfish, but shareholders want the ability of, of companies that they invest in to be able to grow and make a profit. That's really the driving force behind capitalism. And if you're not allowing that, uh, should you be investing in this place? But there are plenty of positives, Gordon. Okay, well, let's take a look at some of the positives then. Well, first of all, the government crackdowns on the private sector have created real bargains in the Chinese stocks. I mean, it's right now, China and Chinese stocks are in a bear market. They've fallen enough that we're, we're starting to see real bargains. And of course, Chinese stocks are generally a third cheaper than western companies to begin with so if you're comparing especially technology to technology and industries to industries china's got some real bargains right now
0: and what about what about the situation with COVID? from what I've read and, and who knows what you read coming out of China whether or not it's 100% accurate but they've done a pretty good job of managing things over there considering that's sort of the belief where it originated right?
1: Yeah no, I, I went to Worldometer and they track uh, essentially country by country the incidence of COVID and the expansion of the pandemic in each country and of course China was quotes 80, 100, 200. We're in the United States, we're getting 80,000, 100,000, 150,000 a day. So I don't necessarily believe China's numbers. In fact, I don't believe China's numbers on a lot of things, to be honest with you. But still, uh, China has done a much, much better job of containing the economic uh, damage to their country. People are going back to work. uh, Kids are going back to school. Manufacturing, spooling up. Yeah, manufacturing, spooling up. So uh, that economy is, is doing much better than ours. And certainly they haven't had to shut things down. And governments uh, had to run trillions and trillions of dollars worth of um, deficits to be able to prop things up. So China's done a much, much better job than we have, even if the numbers, uh, frankly, are fudged.
0: And speaking of numbers, there are a lot of them. Uh, China's what, 1.6 billion, something like that? A lot of consumers to buy the products they're manufacturing, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, they've had the fastest growing economy for the last four decades, and uh, they represent 20% of the world's population and thus consumers. So, you know, if you're not investing in Asia, um, you're really missing the fastest growing area of the world and the world with the largest number of consumers. Okay, so how do we, if we
0: want to make an investment in this part of the world, what's the best way to go? I sense probably
1: going with an ETF would be the safest bet, wouldn't it? Well, I think probably the safest bet, Gord, would be buying ETFs in democratic countries with a large Chinese population themselves or that are situated right next door to China and trade a lot with them. So examples of that would be Taiwan. And obviously, Taiwan has a, a risk because Taiwan is...
0: Constantly not, under threat from the mainland Chinese.
1: Yeah, yeah. being invaded, right? Yeah. And so uh, there's more risk with that. But And there's uh, an ETF called the iShares uh, Taiwan ETF. It's EWT. There's also Singapore, which is far enough away. They're a democratic country. um, And they have no debt. In fact, they they run surpluses every year. The symbol there is EWS, and they do a huge amount of trade with with China every year. And they trade in the U.S. And then there's the iShares Korea, which is right next door to uh, China, and supplies China with chips, electronics. Uh, They're huge trading partners. And they're a democracy as well, symbol E-W-Y. So if you want to take part in the Asian economic miracle, as they call it, you don't have to invest in a communist country. You can invest in countries that surround it that are growing almost as quickly, have democratic governments, and are a lot safer. So, democratic countries around China, I would consider to be the safest way. But you can look at buying ETFs that own a basket of Chinese listed companies for a Chinese index. And there's actually one that trades in Canada. It's called the iShare China Index. And uh, the symbol is XCH, um, and it trades on the Toronto Exchange. It invests in the 50 largest companies in China, and about 35% of its assets are in the Chinese financial sector. So uh, it is a way to invest without having to convert your money to U.S. dollars. And these are just examples that I'm giving. There's lots of other things that you can look at as well. But just a few things I'm highlighting here so that you can start your research.
0: What about, Ron, there's been a lot of westernization, to put it in quotation marks, in China over the last few decades. We see a lot of companies that have started up over there that hadn't been there previously. And, and I'm thinking of, of Western country, uh, Western businesses. Is that an opportunity as well? or
1: Certainly. I mean, you look at companies, and it's surprising how many Western companies get a huge block of their sales from uh, their Chinese Enterprises.
0: I would think tobacco would be one of them. Chinese are notorious smokers, aren't they?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you've got companies like Wynn Resorts, which is in the casino business. Wynn's got a huge complex in Macau. And they get 70% of their revenue comes from China. Wow. Qualcomm, which makes chips, and of course the Chinese are uh, scrambling, like everybody else, to uh, nail down some of the chip supply. Qualcomm gets 60% of their sales from China alone. And you look at something like Starbucks. Uh, they like Starbucks, their coffee too? <laughs> oh, they like our coffee, uh, or Americans' coffee. And, and 20% of Starbucks sales are coming from China, and I expect that number to grow. You look at the number of stores that Starbucks is planning to start. So you can buy Western companies with lots of exposure to China And you don't even actually have to be there. But if you decide that you want to have some direct exposure, some of the names to look at are some of the big multinationals, especially some of the tech names where China's done a really good job. Alibaba, which is China's version of Amazon. Didn't it just get clobbered, though, Ron? It got clobbered. Yeah. And uh, the symbol's BABA. But here again, I think that market, even if they only expand into Asia... That market is big enough to keep these guys growing for years. And uh, there's Tencent, which is T-C-E-H-Y, trades in the U.S. as well. It's the world's largest provider of video games. It's huge. And there's Baidu, B-I-D-U. It's another example. That's China's version of Google. So, you know, there's lots of really high-quality big names that you can look at in China that... um, give you uh, exposure, especially to some of the more growthy areas of that economy.
0: Well, I think we've given you some good reference points here to do your homework. We've talked about some of the ETFs from Western-style democracies that are adjacent to China. We've talked about direct investment in China with some of their biggest corporations. But as always, Ron, do your homework, right? Find the one that fits your investment strategy best.
1: Yeah, and we're here to sort of with these shows is to give you a catalyst to do a little more homework on your own, you know, obviously, Gord, you and I don't know what each individual has in their own portfolio. Uh, If you already have lots of tech stocks, well, maybe you want to invest in China and buy some of their industrial stocks or, or uh, you know, the list goes on and on. Some of their, their medical stocks or some of their consumer stocks. So, you know, You know what your portfolio looks like, so this is just a springboard for you to start getting going on your own portfolio, and we're just trying to highlight some opportunities. And certainly China right now has its risks, but with the pullback, there certainly are opportunities out there as well.
0: So there you go, a look at China and how to maybe think about investing there, do it wisely, If you have a question or a concern about some of the stuff that we've talked about on on making money, don't forget you can visit our website, letsmakemoney.ca. Send us an email. We'll be happy to address that. Uh, If you have a show suggestion, we're open to that as well, something that we haven't tapped into. And you can reach us as well through cfcw.com where the show is hosted, and we'll be happy to get in touch with you and uh, maybe feature it in an upcoming broadcast. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. We'll talk to you again next week.